Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful to be in his presence. Taking whatever efforts we can to bring it more and more into our lives, we'd ask that you would bless us in what we take in today. In your son's name, amen. I was looking at my sermon notes every once in a while I'll forget to change the date you know it'll be you know some other date than this or I'll not have made a new memorable verse at the bottom this time as I this was a couple minutes ago I pulled out my copy the one I was going to use and I said oh my heavens I didn't bold or read anything in the text how will they know what the Lord wants without my bolding and without my red text. How can they get the meaning of God just from standard type? It also gives you a lesson in um, habits. At a certain point in sermon prep, I go through the text. First pass through is to bold and to read the things that I think are important. Then I go back through it and make the outline. For whatever reason, I skipped. The Pop-Tarts were unusually good. Something. And so I never got around to it, and now I don't know what to say about the passage. Actually, we'll manage. We'll manage. It's also a, a passage that has sort of a certain tradition. It's like every seven years. Proverbs 3. Um... When was I last here? It was in some date a while ago. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are really great. I think uh, you don't get that sense that it's just this footloose, wild, throw an epigram against the wall, see if it sticks. It's a it's a discussion. He brings up things. He talks you through a problem. And in chapter 3 of Proverbs, um, the whole chapter is good. We stop at verse 20. I was looking at it because I was sitting in the tub this morning. I know that's an old image. Considering the day, considering my life, considering what calamities were likely to happen. Um, and as, you th as I thought about the calamities that were likely to happen, or awful things that could exist, I you probably have dealt with worry or anxieties before. I said, what, 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 what do you do when you have worried thoughts put on you? I said, what do I, what do I normally do? I, I said, well, but I trust the Lord. It's simple to say. You know, it's, it's sort of like God talk. Well, trust God. And so I then asked myself, is that a good enough answer, really? I mean, is, does that help anybody out? Trust God, come on. That's the problem, I don't. But so I was thinking about trusting God. And I... Uh, and that's how sermon ideas come up. 
soaking in the tub, a certain concept, and then your mind goes to a certain verse, and you go, I'll look that up. And so what came to mind? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's verse 5 here in Proverbs 3. That's the verse that came to my mind. So I said, let's look at Proverbs 3. Does that pan out in some sort of way? Does that help this question at all? What? How are we crippling our lives? How are we not succeeding? Most of us have far bigger plans for calamity dogging you all your days than calamity does. I mean, calamity will kill you at some point. I want to reassure you, it will kill you at some point. But most of us, it's going to sneak up on. How many of you mothers have worried about the calamities of life and death that follow your kid the moment they leave the house for their whole life? Your daughter in her 30s is driving to Portland, so the time she leaves out the door, boom, you have this calamity planned for her. She's going to be sold into white slavery in Libya. Now, most of us have not had any daughters sold into white slavery in Libya. But we persist in doing it. We never learn our lesson. I was wondering why we worry, why we destroy our lives, why our luck is almost planned to go bad, if you believe in luck. Providence, whatever you want to call it. And you look at some people and it seems that God's goodness follows them all the days of their life and it's just not fair. Why is it happening this way? So as I was looking at Proverbs 3, I said, is there a different angle, a different axis to look at this passage along than I've looked at it before? It says wonderful things in it, don't get me wrong, take the normal meaning out of it. But I want you to think of something else as we go through this passage. The basic tension when you're not trusting God and you're writing these calamitous narratives for you to worry about. It's almost you believe, you know know I don't believe in determinism and I do believe in free will. But oddly enough, when we get to worrying, we think we're all determinists. We write fictions, narratives for the future that we don't know. We're not optimistic. I don't think a mother among you has ever said, you know, I bet my daughter's going to get a flat on the way to the Tri-Cities, and a doctor's going to stop and help her, and he's going to be single. And a solid Christian, Billy Graham's nephew, they're going to get married. And the, and the grandkids are going to be really cute. Cuter than the other peoples in the church. Because your grandkids are just, you know, well, they're not mine. We don't think that way. Well, we're writing fictions. Why do you want, why don't you write good fictions? We're, we're about writing we feel, we feel like we've taken and we have taken control of our own lives. You think you're in charge and ought to be in charge. We talk about salvation by faith alone, it's become salvation by ourselves alone. 
And we don't realize, we don't, we never stop to think how much oughtness is in your relationship with other than yourself. I noticed it in the first verse, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my, oh, I bolded those two, my commandments for length of days and years of life and abundant welfare will they give to you. You will notice through this passage, Solomon is promising not an incantational, magical goodness of life that if you do this, this will happen, and if it doesn't happen, you can get a lawyer and sue God. No, it's not that. This is, this is the normal response. This is the response that if I do these things and everything else is normal, everything else being equal, this will happen to you. Length of days, years of life, and abundant welfare will they give you if you listen to Solomon's wisdom. Now that's a simple, well, listen to what I'm saying, kid, or listen to smart people, but I think the first question that has to be raised and then answered correctly is, do you listen to anyone else? Really? Is your life plan and your mind a cacophony of things you're saying to you? Fiction you're writing because you're the one that loves you most. So you're hip deep in what's going to happen to you. And if you're kind of a downer person, the daughter's going to be in a horrific accident on the way to the Tri-Cities. And the two or three optimists among you, she's meeting a doctor. This passage, and many other passages, function in a world that is created differently than we think our world was created. We are essentially... um, I've read a list of it somewhere along the line. We end up being narcissists, sociopaths, solipsists, all the great words. Um, we're really convinced that we know what we're doing in our thinking. We're really convinced we know what we're doing in our planning. We really convinced that our plans can handle, and then we draft out a horror of a story that our narrative of life, or even a positive of a story. We think we're in charge of the history of the world, at least as it surrounds you. And Solomon says, don't forget my teaching. Don't forget my commandments. Now, this is something apart from the, the, the surface instruction here, the goods that are right there. Don't ignore that, but I want you to be thinking that the nature of creation, God says to, of Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not. You ever think about language? How amazing language is. That I am able, with well-rounded periods, to make barking noises into this room and you can sit there and understand my barking noises. And they can bark in other languages too. And those people will understand the Chinese, the French, the New Jersey. 
It's amazing. And of course, people study the psychology of language. They study the, you know, the, how, where, whence it came. But God has not just made a creation with two agents in it, or more than two agents, you and someone else, but he hung this almost low-hanging fruit of relationship. All of you came outside of your mother. He made it so that we didn't make babies out of dirt and then mail them into God We could breathe the breath of life into them and you get your baby back. He, he made you have sex and then your baby, mom got big and a you know, baby came out. Little Ian was uh, walking around very pleased with himself yesterday for walking. The guy's retarded. I mean, he, he's, uh, but boy, he's like, I've conquered the world. We don't even stop to think of how we function with a creation where the communion of the creation is part of the creation. Not just there are strawberries and there are tongues. God made a strawberry and God made tongues. But do you stop to think that God made them to relate to each other? To commune with one another? That you would have a certain response to that other thing. The communion of creation is a key thing in saving you from yourself. Providing the good life for you. To allow you to trust efficiently. Because you have to have a real comfortable standing of dealing with the other. The other has to be natural to you. You know how they talk about in marriage seminars about, you know, communication is really the answer. Well, they're, they're, they're defining it simply. They're, they're, they're pointing people to the, you might say, the symptomatic uh, expression of it. But it's really the other is key. We live in a world in which, like an anthill, it's almost like the ants are all one mind. And what you're trying to do with your wife, and what you're trying to do in your family, and what we'd like to do in our church, and we'd like to what Christ says it's all one, or Paul says it's all one body. We have to, we have got to get a grip on this, guiding ourselves by participation with the other. We've all experienced it. We've all had a teacher. We've all read a book. But this, I'd like this to be more a plan because he hangs this wonderful life, length of days, years, and abundant welfare. So when you ask yourself, huh, let's get on board this train of the other. How can the other be a part of me rather than just me writing the narrative that I think is going to happen I was telling somebody the other day, don't remember who, to watch out for filling in the blanks about what you are sure someone was up to. And that's the danger of the phrase, and he was like, did he say it or was he like? And this person had related that just from the expression and the stance of this other person, 
she had written a story that was very negative. I said, might be. You don't know. You're not really in charge. We don't write well and that we live our lives according to these narratives we write ourselves. And I'm saying that we start to get out of that cycle when we start to, uh, you might say, insist that the other participate. So when you insist that the other participate, you got to pick some new friends. You, have you ever met somebody who the echo chamber, the confirmation bias, whatever it is going on in their, in their head from their friends, it's all encouraging bad thought? Just because other matters doesn't mean if you pick other to help you out in life that you'll pick wise friends. If you walk, it says in Proverbs, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. But you've got to find the wise. Wise isn't there because it's not anyone, don't forget my teaching. It's Solomon, my son, don't forget my teaching. It's Solomon, let your heart keep my commandments. Not anybody's commandments and anybody's teaching. So you've got to realize two things about this these various arenas and a bunch of others that are mentioned here. When I see the need for other and how it's expressed, who the other is matters. Just like you can't default to your own narratives and your own plans and your own thinking of how this is going to be and you can't, you can't figure out why they don't like me or you can't figure out whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with, it's not just you finding someone to talk to about it. We're not here just to be social. We're here to have this social moment define for you a better self. That you've expanded yourself, you've humbled yourself to get these good things. Let not loyalty, verse 3, and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them about your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. What else is going on? Not only are you supposed to listen to a teacher, not myself, but a teacher that is good, a Solomonic teacher. I'm supposed to be loyal and faithful. But again, as my father says, loyalty is a dirty word. Because people use the word loyalty to bend you to be loyal to that which you ought not. Just like with teaching. Oh, listening to teachers is good. Loyalty is good. Listening to good teachers is good. Being loyal to the right thing. Belonging to another. You should be loyal. You have an obligation as best you can to join yourself in an oughtness to others. You're not just loyal to yourself. Because this loyalty, um, we're reading out of, uh, in uh, Pilgrim's Regress, the character quotes uh, that poem Invictus, awful, awful piece of tripe. I am the captain, master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Oh, good for you. See you in 20 years. We'll talk. We've got to find someone to teach us that'll teach us well. We've got to find a belonging. 
when you have the church, and you know, as Anabaptists, we're not, you say, I didn't know I was an Anabaptist. You might not be. But roughly speaking, this functions in an Anabaptistic way. We are here because we like each other. There's no, no elders are going to come visit you if you didn't show up for three weeks, because that's how most of you do it. Let alone, it's not three weeks, it's usually just 20 minutes late. Who's the worst here? Al. It's, it's bad during, uh, I was going to say football season, all four seasons. But nobody comes, nobody hunts down the guy and goes, you know, your loyalty to this group is in question. You wouldn't like that kind of church. Um, but we're here. We're here for a reason. Even without being visited by the elders. You probably have a set of friends. You ever had that set of friends where even when you're sick, you go, oh, I think I can make it. Gunn did that last night. He was not feeling well, but... John and Kenny were having people over. Well, I think I could do this. All right. Well, you have friends like that. I like hanging out my, with my wife. You have friends like the loyalties, belonging. Consider your belonging because not only are you not just a self, you have a self-connection to other that God has made. That self-connection to other is going to benefit you. Who teaches you? And what groups do you belong to? Your family could be a group. Your marriage can be a group. Your church can be a group. Your hobby group can be a group. Whatever it is. Choose wisely and be loyal and faithful. And you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. This makes your life better. And then it has the wonderful passage that I, brought me to this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the verse that started me thinking along the lines that we're thinking about. And do not rely on your own insight. That was the key part of the verse. Said, Maybe I should think about this passage in terms of not relying on what I'm creating myself. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So what, what, what sort of advice is that? I mean, other than it's a, you know, poster material. <clears throat> kind of a, a, a plastic three-dimensional magnet mother can get for the fridge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own insight. There's something more qualified than your thinking. You have got to allow that which is more qualified than your thinking to falsify your thinking. You won't always be wrong. Just because you shouldn't trust you doesn't mean you'll be wrong. But there will be things outside of you, objective things, the word of God, reason, experience, reality, just the way things are, is going to come home to you and correct you. Reality corrects you with karma. That didn't work. 
you had a here hold my beer moment and Jim was juggling chainsaws a couple days ago he's limping today some of you have done things less than circumspect that have ended up breaking some part of your body we know that our own insight is corrected by reality disciplined by reality it is corrected by the word of God it is corrected by reason you have to say my insight is not presumed what is the modern post what is the modern postmodern what does the postmodern mind say we all have our own truth you don't get your own truth there is the true and you're an idiot that's basically and you got to find out if you're one of the idiots or you're comporting yourself with the truth trust in the Lord and don't lean on your own understanding because your own understanding isn't sufficient in this world God made you part of a communion and a whole now you know I'm not a big fan of orthodoxy not Greek orthodoxy, not that either, but, you know, the rules that say, well, you got to think this. All of us have got to be checked. Not because it isn't good to listen to teachers, but because all of us don't want to attempt the, the, the church to go around thinking, well, yeah, our insight has been perfect on this one. You can trust us. We're to acknowledge him and trust him for him to straighten out our paths. It will give you good travels. It's, um, have you ever known someone who was just spontaneous and, and they really kind of enjoyed suddenly not being there um, and doing, ending up in Albuquerque? That I came to mind of uh, Taylor's mom and her aunt just ended up in Albuquerque and drove back. Spontaneous people. And us, you know, stick in the buds. Just all sorts of worried. It's kind of almost hoping that they have awful car trouble. And they didn't. It just didn't seem fair. But you also know a lot of spontaneous people that those are the people that, for the most part, end up broken down the side of the road in, you know, Wairica, California. Stuck in Lodi again. It's, uh, we know these things happen. We have to consider that the other, when I participate with the other, more efficiently, when something corrects, when something falsifies me, when I, any thought I have, I go, well, what could be wrong with that? There ought to be a chorus of voices that come to your mind. Well, I better check the scriptures. What could be wrong with that? Well, I better ask a friend. He might say, well, I wouldn't do that. You've got to be ready to falsify your own insights. Your own insights are horrific in many cases. And you don't know they're creating the unstraight path. Only when God is trusted, only when I acknowledge him, do I have the benefit of the living God straightening my path. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So you got a couple things. Your own mind shouldn't be trusted. It's always got to be checked. Your own righteousness shouldn't be trusted. It's always got to be checked. You fear the Lord. You don't think, I've got this. I know what can work. Have you ever made a moral decision that you knew didn't comport itself with God's moral decision? But you thought, no, this will work. I can make this work. I can, I can, uh, it's just occasional drunkenness or it's just occasional, you know, something uh, else that's sinful. It never works. If I turn away from evil, it will be healing to my flesh and refreshment from my bones. Look at the promises in this. We've got abundant welfare, length of days, good repute, favor, straight paths, people healed physically. Now, you don't have to believe this. This is from Jim Wilson. He's counseled a lot of people where when he straightened out their righteousness, their health got straightened out. I'm just saying. It ain't gluten. It's sin. Not sin. Gluten is not sin. Don't, do, not, do not go home with that. Gluten is righteousness. Gluten is righteousness. Salt, grease, they're all good for you. Righteousness heals. Like it says, the oft-quoted proverb that Evan likes, a tranquil mind gives life to the flesh. Passion makes the bones rot. This is an echo of that. If I turn away from evil, if I'm not the way I'm thinking, if I find the way I'm thinking comports itself very well with the majority of commercials on TV, that you might be an idiot. Do you realize it says there's no gluten on my tortilla chips? It now says it, I think, on my Cheerios, too. It never had it. But there you go. Honor the Lord with your substance. Now, this is a dangerous passage. I would usually skip over this passage because I realize how dangerous this passage is. For heaven's sake, for how long has this church been meeting? Leslie, you have a memory. Uh, we've been in this building 10 years. Started in ish 90? Yeah, 26. 26 years. Never passed the plate. You think you would have noticed. There is a giving box at the back if you feel overwhelmed. But we're always a little nervous about that. We don't want to, it's not that we don't want to pay our bills. We just, I grew up in the church and it was one of the uglier parts of, in my mind, churchness. Although the, the platters were really nice. They <laughs> big silver things, they always had that red velvet bottom so the money wouldn't make a lot of noise. But if you put paper money in, it wouldn't make a lot of, oh. It's always tough for pastors to honor the Lord with your son. Bring your tithes into the storehouse. Let's turn to Malachi, shall we? 
and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Boy, that's just, oh, that's just asking for a giving um, lane in India. But, you know, the problem I have is I'm, I'm, tr- I'm looking at this passage from a, a, on a different axis. What is your participation with the other and how does the per- your participation with the other help you f- enjoy get, and get a good life? Do you realize, I said, as I looked at this and said, Evan, resist the temptation. What could I say about this? You do realize that when you participate with the other, it's not just you getting teaching, you um, getting these benefits of guidance, the Lord's righteousness. You've got to communicate too. What do you got? You realize that people, you're the other for someone else. And sometimes the other is going to be emotional. Sometimes the other is going to be intellectual. Sometimes it's going to be financial. You're going to help those. You're going to help those that are looking to you. Because it's part of participating in the other. Where you're not just this solipsist who, if you, a solipsist, if you're, is someone who thinks essentially that the only thing that is, the only real existent uh, identity. You don't want to get there. If you want to, as a Christian, you say, I belong, I, I'm faithful and trustworthy to others. I have loyalties. I listen to our God, the same God that the other people in this room have. The same gospel has saved me. The same message of righteousness has guided us all. The same nature of reason has helped us all through difficult times. That's why the saints in Acts, when things got hard in, in Jerusalem... They sold their stuff and they helped each other out. And I'm perfectly confident that you guys would too. But I, think it, I, think that's the, I think it's the nature of what, at least I know of you, you help each other out. We don't even have to raise money because whenever something comes up there seems to be something. Or we just say, no, you, just like we tell our kids, we can't afford it. <laughs> so we can't afford the pros coming in and fixing our basement floor you're going to do it. But, realize you're part of the other. Hold up your side of the conversation. It's not about you and only you. Sometimes if you've got the material goods, give the material goods. If you've got the encouragement, give the encouragement. If you're the person that's supposed to hold up your side of the conversation, hold up your side of the conversation. Whatever you have, make it broader than you. Show hospitality ungrudgingly. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Well, guess what? Listening to the other participating with the other you're not always going to get encouraging uh, words you might have made a mistake the Lord might say to you that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen anyone do in history and he might smack you upside the head 
This passage is important. It's quoted in Hebrews 12. The Lord disciplines the son whom he loves. We would like to... Yeah, no one... What do you do when you get corrected? Think about how you function. Because I've, I've talked to a lot of people because I am Alexander the Corrector. That was the guy who did Cruden's Concordance. I think it was, he renamed himself Alexander and kind of went crazy. And he was Alexander the Corrector. Have you ever been corrected? I've been corrected. And I'm a Wilson. And Wilsons know how to defend themselves. Very subtly. Skillfully. And the person will walk away having corrected us knowing that we're still wrong, but there's no way that they were going to be able to show it. Because we are always able to juke our way out of it. Why do we do that? We want to be the only judge of our ideas. Remember, we're busy if we're not thinking of the other, if we're not assessing what part of the other is there to benefit me, and who I should listen to, and what should guide me, and what should correct me. I am busy being myself, inventing my own narrative for myself, and inventing my own ethical progress for myself. And of course, if any fool thinks they could correct me, having a very advanced sea lawyering capability to get yourself out of it. Don't be weary of his reproof. Don't despise it. How do I get to that point? Sometimes we say, well, how do I have faith? How do I have trust? Why don't we, you know what it is to despise and not listen to the reproof. Do the things you know how to do. It's an encouragement as well as a correction. He disciplines the son whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. We have to learn to listen to correction. It's a, it's a, I had to, in just my own uh, life, had to learn to be quiet. I think I've told this story before. My dad, uh, I got corrected by some druggie, which of course I could, that was an easy one. What does he know? He's on drugs. The trouble was, he was right. The druggie was right in his assessment of Evan. Well, I made the mistake of telling my father, <laughs> laugh up my sleeve, so-and-so said this about me. He's on drugs. My father, uh, this was, I think I was 18. My father said, you know, sometimes the least equipped person is the person who tells you. The person who's right about you. You can't afford not to say, I better think about that. Better consider if that's true. Don't make a defense. It was a big, you know, I still remember standing in the backyard. I still remember the conversation with my father about it. We have to, 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 to hear correction. You say, Evan, maybe you think too much about the self and the other. I don't understand what all that's about. You're, you are you, you're the self, and everything else is the other. Do you have a relationship that is wise with the other? Because you, if you're not taking correction, you don't have one that is wise with the other. That's what a lot of things are there. Now, there are a lot of people who are trying to correct you just because they want to tear you down. Just because, you know, you're in an argument with Evan and Evan just wants to be right, of course. 
So he's going to be busy destroying, trying to destroy everything you hold sacred. It's not always going to be good, but it's far better to participate with the other where you can decide between corrections than not believe corrections of you are possible. None of us like a narcissist. Happy. So far we've been given long life, favor, good reputation, healing, straight paths, barns filled with plenty, and the encouragement of being one of the sons of God, because I've listened to him in the correction. My way I've participated with the other has brought me, it is not good for you to be alone, look at all what not alone has brought you. You could not have produced this for yourself. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding. This is the other passage that jumped out at me when I was reading through it. Who finds wisdom. There are people who think that because the thoughts are traveling through their head, it is reason. And it is to be trusted more because it is thoughts traveling through their head. That's why it says, lean not on your own understanding. We find wisdom. You go looking for it. Sure, it's going to be built up in your mind. You're, you're participating in this. It's not, not including you. But finding wisdom, finding wisdom presupposes no, no uh, assumptions. You don't get to make the assumption. It's my thought. It's my truth. No. You have to demonstrate you have to have found wisdom and get understanding. It's likely going to be not at home, not with you. You'll have to ask somebody. Hold your conversations that way. Ask your friends questions of the things of God. Get their spin on something. Well, sometimes they're going to be wacky questions, or sometimes there's going to be completely unproductive questions, but start at, participate in the other. Belong to the communion of good that is trying to build you a good life. Happy is the man who gets it. For the gain from it is far better than gain from silver, and its profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. We've got this all, I guess, I think backwards. One, we don't think of the other, we think of ourselves. We try to come up with a plan that is directly monetized. Everyone is thinking, I'm off to college to get a major so I can get a job making 70000 a year. And we think, we, we know what it's like to speak of quantities of money as if it were quantities of happiness. Because we believe that gold and silver and precious jewels are more precious than the wisdom and the understanding. Because we say, well, yeah, I'm sure that's good. I can buy that benefit later. The benefit you're trying to offer me once I get my life under me and my income set out. But already, wisdom and understanding, verse 16, long life is in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. So, reverse the path, the trajectory. 
if you get the silver, gold, and jewels first, his long life in their hand. We found out, did what I was corrected last night. What was it that uh, David Rockefeller, rich guy, billionaire, just died, 101 or something like that? He had had seven heart transplants. I guess money can buy you a long life. I'm sure he had a great time. Seven engine replacements. Or is it the transmission? That'd be your hips, right? <laughs> but you know, he can't buy riches and honor. I mean, he can't buy wisdom and understanding. Excuse me, I was reversing it. I can't go to riches first and get wisdom and understanding. I can't get, verse 17, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. You monetize life, you figure that's what you're supposed to be about. I'm here to be successful, I'll believe in myself, I'll sing a song off a Disney movie because I believe in myself and I'm going to go out there and it's gonna, I'm going to work hard and have ambition and make a lot of money and then we'll be happy. And Solomon, same Solomon, will come back to you and say, yeah, got that, been there, done that, ain't there. I hated life. You want pleasantness? You want peace. You want to be happy. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. It's kind of a hint as to who you hang with, who you're loyal to, who you're faithful to. When you go out there in the world and find a body of believers to be a part of, be a part of the body of believers who's closest to that, looking for understanding and wisdom and correction and belonging. It's far, far better that you would be with a group of people you don't agree with theologically, but you agree with what we're about. Those who hold her fast are happy. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. I wasn't just telling you how he did it. He's saying, we've been talking about wisdom? Talking about finding it elsewhere, not in yourself? Trusting God for it? Gaining it from your company? Realize that God himself couldn't just go, I'm powerful, I have magic. Power and magic could have created a pretty awful world. It's that by his wisdom he founded the earth. By understanding he established the heaven. And gravity always works at 32 feet per second squared. Can you imagine if it shifted every five minutes? How would you invent a staircase? Or how would you survive two days going up and down staircase? Because you could never learn to walk. Because the force that drew you to whatever it is, by his wisdom, by his understanding, by his knowledge, the deeps broke forth and the clouds dropped down the dew. When God saw sinfulness of man on the earth and everything they could capable of doing, 
When, when people got together in, in, in Shinar at Babel, they built the city and the tower, and God came down and he said, if they achieve this, nothing will be impossible for them. That was a warning. He had to confuse their languages. And at Pentecost, he may have reversed this. We know that sin makes participation with the other a different kind of calamity than you just believing in yourself. But the Christian has been redeemed. He does not have that problem. He can take the new life he has in Christ and belong to the other and not and have the, the walls between languages and races and whatever broken down and be happy in it. But we're capable of great things. You want great things, first say, I need to participate in the creation of all that is around me. And then I need to participate in the creation of all that is around me with the right selection made with who I listen to, what groups I belong to, what, what wisdom I hear. <coughs> but look at those benefits. Long life, reputation, health, bursting vats with wine. <coughs> Happy, pleasant peace. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Help us be a benefit to each other. Help us receive the benefit we are in each other's lives. Help us carry that benefit to people not here. That we begin to know how great is your creation of communion. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.